Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta call us in though. Well, good evening, supervisors, good evening, staff, and good evening, Loudoun. I'd like to call to order the February 20th, 2024 Loudoun County Board of Supervisors business meeting. This room has a hearing loop. If you need hearing assistance, please switch your hearing aid to the telecom mode. If you need a headset, we have those available as well. Please see the clerk to request one. Pursuant to Virginia Code Section 2.2-3703-3, and the Virginia and, and the board's rules of order, supervisors Sylvia Glass and Karan Sane requested to participate remotely in this meeting by electronic communication. A physical quorum of the board supervisors is present in the boardroom, and the board has made arrangements for the voices of Supervisor Glass and Sane to be heard by all persons in the boardroom, although I will say Supervisor Glass does not have much of a voice today. Um, they made the re this request within the required time frame, and the county attorney de uh, determined that both of them, uh, both of their requests meet the qualifications to participate remotely. The board will record in its minutes that supervisors Glass and Sains participated remotely from a private location in their residences due to illness. Let me first try Supervisor Sains. Can you hear me? Mr. Sains? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? We can hear you just fine. Ms. Glass, can you squeak at us, please? <laughs> well, That's about it. Okay, well, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Supervisors, I'm, um, it's gonna be a little, a tiny bit of a change in the order today because um, as we are all aware, we had a tragic, um, incident happened on Friday night and firefighter Trevor Brown um, lost his life in a line of duty death. And so um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go through the rest of the agenda or the schedule in just a second, but can we all, will you first all join me in a moment of silence for firefighter Brown? Thank you. All right, before I go to Mr. Kirshner for the invocation, what I thought I would do is ask um, our fire chief to come to the table and, and give an update on anything that he wants to give an update on regarding the incident that happened on Friday. I think he's probably the best one to give, the, to give us the update. Um, as he comes down, I will, I will say, um, Chief, Chief Johnson, um, my gosh, uh, listen, on, on not just behalf of the board, but on behalf of the, a very grateful county, will you please extend to your command staff um, and to the entire combined system our, our condolences first to, um, to Firefighter Brown's family, his wife, his children, um, our, our concern about the firefighters who are still hospitalized and our deep gratitude for the entire combined system. We, you know, we, every day, but, but this, this weekend most especially, and thank you because I am aware of how, how tough this weekend's been for you as well. So 
Um, if you'd like to give us an, an update, we'd appreciate that. Supervisors, I will allow just a uh, one round of questions post-update. If you'd like to ask any questions, Chief Johnson, thank you very much. Thank you, Chair Angela, members of the board, and, and I'll direct it to Mr. Hemstreet, Ms. McClellan as well. Um, thank you for having me. Um, and just to provide a brief update, um, I'll kind of give us the high-level overview of, of where we are, because I think it's important that the folks understand and you understand where, where we are at this point in our, in our environment. I, I think before I even start, I have to provide a, a thank you to the board and to county administration and to all citizens of Loudoun County. In my 41 years as a firefighter, um, I have never, ever received as much reach out, contacts, thank yous, letters of support, officer support, coast to coast. Uh, this is not a Loudoun County thing. This is a Virginia thing, national thing, fire service thing, um, and has truly been overwhelming to receive the accolades and the condolences of so many people within this county and abroad everywhere, and uh, that is truly overwhelming, uh, to say the least. Um, so not to dwell on that, um, most people know uh, that on, obviously on Friday night, our crews were dispatched for an outside gas leak, something we run very often, um, that an outside smell of gas. Um, that requires a limited response, and our folks responded accordingly with a limited number of units um, to an outside gas leak. When they arrived on the scene, they found that on, on Silver Ridge Drive, they in Sterling, they found a propane tank, underground propane tank, 500-gallon propane tank that it's pretty standard for homes in, in our area. Um, there was not served by natural gas. It was propane. And they found that tank leaking. Um, our folks go into a mode of investigation. They go into a mode of monitoring, finding out where the tank is leaking from, why it's leaking. And first and foremost, we look for the occupants of the home to, um, if they're in any type of hazard, to get them out of the home. So our folks are doing that. They found a leak. Uh, they were identifying, trying to identify where they are. Most folks in this room uh, remember your chemistry days that propane is heavier than air, which means it'll seek the lowest areas. And indeed, that's what happened here is that propane obviously got into the home, how and why that we're still determining that, but propane got into the home and obviously caused a flammable atmosphere. Our folks uh, entered the home, were in the home investigating. They were actively removing both occupants from the home. I have spoken to both occupants who 100% credit fire and rescue with removing them from the home. They had two dogs and three cats, and as, you, as board members, parents, you know that when you have two dogs and three cats, your priority is getting your pets out of the home, which I always urge you to get yourself out first. You've heard me say that before. But they, they, were, they were actively in the home, in the basement of the home, looking for their animals, and we removed them from the home. It was during this that our folks were inside investigating, and our folks, most of them, were outside. And during that time, a catastrophic explosion happened. Um, so something happened within the flammable range where an ignition source ignited the uh, flammable atmosphere in the home and an explosion uh, occurred. Um, subsequently, um, you've you all seen the pictures. The house was 100% leveled. Um, two firefighters, um, two that are remaining in the burn unit, were trapped inside. And immediately, what they became trapped by the rubble, they initiated what we call a mayday. That's the mayday on the radio asking that they're trapped and they can't get out, and they need help. And they did that heroically. Um, once that happens, our battalion chief that was on the scene went to work. He arrived on the scene during, right after the, during the explosion and then had to go into the mode of rescuing multiple firefighters that were trapped inside as well as the numerous ones on the outside. 
Uh, our crews asked for help from our hazardous materials response team, which was critical, um, and then the battalion chief was added. Ultimately, this event went to three alarms and numerous uh, units. Um, I, I believe it was over 100 units that were on the scene at some point during this event, um, during the uh, entire event. Um, Ultimately, um, immediately, we determined that one firefighter, Trevor Brown, from the Sterling Volunteer Fire Company, was found on the scene deceased. Um, there was no resuscitation efforts that ongoing. It was immediate uh, that it was determined that he was deceased on the scene. But um, nonetheless, they went into the mode of rescuing the at least two firefighters that were trapped and calling their maydays. Um, I was asking this morning about, I don't believe we have any statistics on the survival rate of firefighters calling maydays that are trapped but I can tell you it's not very high. And we've rescued those two firefighters as well as everybody else. Um, to make a long story short, we ended up with uh, 14 injuries on this incident that were transported. Um, they were 11 firefighters, 10 from Loudoun, career and volunteer, um, one from Fairfax, a sheriff's office deputy with a minor injury that was refused, and then the two civilians. So there were 14 injuries. Um, uh, 10 of which were Loudoun County Fire and Rescue and Sterling Volunteer Fire Company um, injuries that were transported to the hospital. Um, all required treatment and some form of, of care. Um, I'm happy to report today that one additional firefighter came home yesterday and then one today. We are left with two um, personnel, one career uh, lieutenant and one firefighter from Sterling Volunteer Fire Company that remain in the Washington Burn Center. Um, and they remain there. So we are left with two hospitalized at this moment. Um, our lieutenant is doing well with uh, second degree burns admitted to the hospital. He's in a step down unit, which is a very good news. Um, and he remained uh, for an undetermined amount of time in a hospital, but most likely a shorter stay. The firefighter from Sterling received second and third degree burns to, uh, to himself, and he has a longer road to recovery for sure. Um, and he um, spoke, I have spoken to every single firefighter and person uh, that was injured today. Uh, my goal today was to re-follow up with them, and I've spoken to every one of them um, to check in and see how they were doing, including the ones in the hospital and their wives, for that matter. Um, and uh, all are positive, all are doing better and improving. Um, but the majority of those injuries, including Firefighter Brown, he was outside the home when he got um, killed. Um, he, he wasn't inside, he wasn't in the basement or anything like that. Um, so we often think of the outside of the home as our safe refuge area, and certainly this did not prove to that fact to be a, a safe refuge. Um, so our, our folks are um, heavily engaged, and it would be worth it if I'd done something that Mr. Hemstreet's now probably heard four times because he's been with us the entire time of this event, and this morning was the first time I saw him uh, leave our side and because he, I think, came to work, um, his real job. But um, our four pillars of our organization of what we're doing uh, for the last since this occurred was most importantly taking care of our people. Um, so the behavioral health needs and peer support needs for our folks, those that are on the scene and those who are at the fire scene, and just people in general is enormous. I know you appreciate that, Chair Randall, but I can't tell you how massive this is to be able to reach everyone and do get our clinicians out there to meet with people um, and, and, and assess their mental status and provide them uh, you know, some support. Of course, with anything, there comes an HR and a risk stamp, a risk part of it, risk management part of it. You know, injuries require paperwork. They require state forms to be filled out. So that's a massive amount of, of work that has to be done. Certainly our county HR and county risk management have been assisting us greatly with that. First and foremost, that has been our priority is taking care of our people. 
Um, and that certainly does include the family of Firefighter Brown, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, simultaneously, our, our fire marshals are still on the scene today. They have not left the scene since this occurred on Friday evening. They are completing or working on their origin and cause investigation to find out what happened, why this tank, there was a, a failure, um, why, why there was an explosive atmosphere, what happened to the tank, and all the details, just like we would on any fire. Um, I anticipate that they'll be at least there through tomorrow, um, completing their investigation. Of course, they're working with the insurance company, the entities, the stakeholders that are involved um, with the incident. So they have not left the scene. We did have the uh, ATF involved, not simply because there's any uh, suspicious activity. There's none, except they bring resources to us to be able to, uh, we have a partnership with them to be able to leverage some additional resources. So that is ongoing. Um, we have begun our efforts to uh, uh, employ a significant uh, incident team, what we call a SIT team, and that's a, a review process that we will look at every aspect of this incident um, and find out what our folks did, what they did well, and what we could do better, and what we will learn and share um, and with, uh, with everyone. Um, so this is a uh, group made up of internal and external stakeholders. It actually is being led by uh, Chief Tom Coe from Frederick County, Maryland, who just went through a line of duty death uh, about a year ago. Um, so he's leading our group. Uh, we have uh, folks from all entities of the organization, career and, and volunteer, as part of this group. And I'm happy to report that uh, I found, got word this afternoon after I requested this through the U.S. Fire Administrator, that NIOSH will be part of our group. So uh, that's uh, by their choice. Um, NIOSH will be an official part of our investigative team. Uh, they will fly in resources to us to be able to complete an uh, objective look at this, which will um, follow the efforts of this board and be fully transparent uh, when that report is done. Uh, this is a report that will be released nationwide, uh, and my, my expectation is it will be truly transparent in everything that we did right and wrong, if there is anything found of that. But it will include NIOSH uh, entity. It's not an enforcement arm. It's an arm that will provide recommendations of things that we could do better and things that we did right. Uh, in this incident. So that is uh, kicking off tomorrow morning. Uh, it already had some initial work done, but that group will kick off tomorrow morning officially and begin the, the long work of doing that. That's a multi, multi-month uh, process of, of completing that report. And last but not least, as I said, we have a, we're in the full efforts of planning a funeral um, for Firefighter Brown. I'm happy to report today that uh, Trevor was released uh, from the medical examiner, and if you I know most of you were there I did, uh, that were part of that uh, unbelievable display of, of community affection that uh, he was transported from the medical examiner in Prince William back to the funeral home here in Leesburg. Um, will he be prepared for a future funeral? Um, uh, again, that was an unbelievable display of, of support from our community, from you, and uh, that was a, a, a very moving uh, effort to do that. Um, the funeral, is, the date has been planned for March 4th at 11 o'clock at Cornerstone Chapel here in Leesburg, and then further details on that uh, will be forthcoming. But um, I have personally met with the family multiple times. Uh, we took the family out to the site yesterday. Trevor was 45 years old, um, uh, survived by a wife and three children ages 9, 11, 9, and 6. I met with the family, met with the children. Um, and as you can imagine, they're devastated, very private um, folks, and um, ask that they, you know, re re respect their privacy. And so far, everybody has um, with that. But they did visit the scene. That was, a, that was a private moment with just very few of us yesterday. They wanted to see where um, their dad laid, laid, was laid to rest on it and gave his life for that. 
Um, so the funeral is in full swing. Uh, one of the media asked me yesterday, it must be tough to plan a funeral in this kind of environment. And I said, not at all. I said, we do this for all of our members um, and that we recognize. And as you know, most of you, some of you there, just last week we laid to rest Charlie Grant and, and same type of honor. So it's something we do often because it's the, what we deserve, our respect for all of our loved ones that passed. Thankfully, we don't do line of duty death funeral, but something we're very good at is honoring our members. Um, so we will give Trevor the same honors moving forward um, with that. Uh, the, the last but a couple of finer things is, uh, you know, our community has been so supportive of trying to do something. Um, uh, to, to tell you how bad it is that Sterling has enacted a food manager, Sterling Volunteer Fire Company, to handle all the food that make sure we don't get sick on all the, the food that we were eating. Um, but more importantly, our folks have asked about donations. And jointly, the Sterling Volunteer Fire Company and myself have designated the Loudoun First Responders Foundation as the entity that will support um, our efforts. As you know, you all know what they do. They support us year-round, public safety. Yeah, all we're going to hear from them in just a little while, actually. Great. Yeah. Awesome. And um, so th they, they are a remarkable organization. I have members that sit on the board of directors. And the best part about that is we will certainly support the family of Firefighter Brown, but I have nine other members, obviously, that need support as well. Um, and some will require extensive treatment out of work and things of that nature. So that organization can supply unilateral support to the families and to our firefighters, all of them that are in need um, with that. So we have been working a lot on the assistance to all the families, and especially the family of Firefighter Brown that lost, uh, their, their, that lost Trevor. Um, and we're doing everything we can to, to um, support them moving forward. Um, I probably could go on forever and just talk about the remarkable efforts of our community, but I think I'll, I'll stop there and, and just see if you have any questions for me. Well, thank you, Chief Johnson, and the community has indeed been remarkable. Before I go to any questions or comments, you shared yesterday that that Firefighter Brown's family has, uh, and his, his widow, has received some um, calls from from different entities, uh, different people. Would you like to share any of that? I would. Um, so uh, we've had some support immediately from, I have a, we have a great relationship with the Secretary, Secretary of Public Safety and Homeland Security, Secretary Cole, and his deputy secretaries, uh, that, that's ongoing. We have a great relationship with them. Um, Secretary John, Deputy Secretary Schlefter came to our office within hours after this to offer his support from his office and ultimately the governor's office. Secretary Cole and the two deputies came to our second briefing on the second day and participated in our briefing. Uh, it was not to have them. Um, and we received word that the Governor Yunkin, in fact, did want to call uh, the family of uh, Firefighter Brown, the widow of Firefighter Brown. Um, and in fact, uh, we, I did receive notice, and, and then he did, Governor Yunkin did call me prior to um, calling the wife um, and offering the condolences from the governor's office, and I thought that was admirable. Thought that's where it would stop, but it didn't. Uh, we had word that the White House was involved in this and was monitoring the situation. So uh, we had some correspondence back with some staff from the White House staff, and then um, there was an indication. Um, that um, the White House wanted to assist in some way and uh, to make something maybe a little bit comical in the sense that when the White House called and asked me what they can do to assist, I asked them, what do you have to offer? And um, so uh, the, I got word that President Biden 
was interested in calling Laura, uh, the, the spouse, Miss um, Brown, the widow. And in fact, uh, shortly before, at about 3.30 yesterday, I received from, uh, from a staffer at the White House Oval Office, called me and said that when they hang up with me, President Biden would be indeed calling the spouse. And that did occur yesterday. President Biden did reach out to the uh, widow and uh, explained her condolences and I believe offered a future visit to the White House for them and their family. Um, so that is, um, that was pretty, pretty awesome. To, and I think our, yeah. It also it's not awesome for me. It's awesome because I think the fire service well, deserves and, that. And it also shows that in these moments, everything else falls away, and right. it just becomes the focus on what the you know the, the main thing is the main thing, no matter what. So I have been told that uh, Governor Yunkin does want to visit some of our folks in in the burn unit, and we're working on that arrangement right now. But uh, everybody's been so supportive. Good. Very okay. So, Buzz, if you have any questions or or, or thoughts, um, please put your light on, Miss Umstop. Thank you, Madam Chair, Chief. Um, along with everybody else up here, we are also very sorry. Going forward, do you anticipate the possibility that you would want to see any changes in the Virginia Building Code as to the placement of propane tanks? It's too early to tell because I really don't know the cause right now. You know, we, the fire remains under investigation and it will likely remain that way for some period of time. I hope to get some more information out to the community. Um, but um, it's too early to tell. Um, it will remain under investigation. There's a lot of uh, analysis and scientific evidence that has to happen. Um, we have the world-class uh, fire marshals um, that are on this case. Um, they're working with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. They're working with law enforcement. They're working with the ATF um, insurance companies. So undetermined at risk time, you know, if I could tie this to residential sprinklers, you absolutely know I would, but I don't think it would have helped in this situation. Um, but um, it, 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 as of this time, no, but we'll, we'll see. All right, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Letourneau. Thank you. Um, Chief, uh, it may just be because I'm overly sensitive to the calls now, but it, it seems to me that we've almost seen an uptick in gas leak calls over the last couple of days. Is, is there any fact to that or just my perception? I, I think I'm probably to blame for that when the, when the um, media uh, asked me you know what they what they can do and what advice yeah. do you have for people i said if you smell gas call 911 yeah. still my advice today so i think Absolutely. people are being a little more sensitive however um work doesn't stop and i think all of you know that uh yesterday we had a garage fire in a home in sterling um the same crews that responded uh responded on that call they had a working garage fire later in the afternoon we had an outside gas leak and we evacuated 23 homes in the area legitimate gas leak outside that was a natural gas leak um, this morning, we worked on another uh, commercial building fire in the town of Middleburg. So right. work doesn't stop, uh, but that's probably my fault, And but that's okay. We'll handle I think it's those, a bad thing. We'll, hold, we'll handle those calls. That's what we do. Right. Um, I think it's, I, I can say this now because the family came forward. So the, the, the volunteer firefighter um, that's in the burn unit, Firefighter Diamond, was also a Loudoun County Public Schools teacher. <laughs> um, has, has there been coordination with LCPS that you can speak about? Yes, the, the, from what I understand, the Loudoun County Public Schools, as you know, has had um, counseling on staff for the children or the school, the children attended school. Um, you know, we tried to, uh, uh, there was actually a, a, what we know as a bus stop right near the intersection of this incident. So I think we work with school system to yeah. navigate some, some changes to the bus stop route and, and so forth. We have some road blocked off in the area. So yeah, the school system's been awesome in, in assisting us and working with us. Well, I know that um, I've heard from many folks in the community that the firefighter diamond Mr. Diamond is an eighth grade English teacher at uh, J. Michael Luntz for middle school. Spoke to him today. And uh, 
a very popular one, one that the students really uh, enjoy. He's got four children of his own. Sounds like his road's gonna be long uh, in the future, but uh, certainly I know the community's thinking about him and, and I saw that the, the school PTA um, has set up a meal train and they're covered for an entire month um, just uh, to his family. So just an example of the, uh, the community support that everyone's receiving. But uh, thank you, Chief, for, for everything you're doing and, you. and representing us so well on this really difficult time. Thank you, Mr. Letourneau. Mr. Sainz, do you have anything? Uh, yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, thank you, Chief Thompson, for being here and giving us this briefing. Uh, just, you know, send our condolences to the to the Brown family and our hearts and prayers are with those that were on the call on the scene that day and who were on the road to recovery. Um, I w was able to go um, to the scene that, that night, and what I saw was nothing short of uh, amazing work of our, our combined fire um, company, uh, here in Loudoun, Sterling Volunteer uh, Company was on scene at Ashburn. We had folks from Fairfax County, um, Metropolitan Airports Authority, they had um, responders there. ATF was on scene, the Sheriff's Department as well. Um, and I'll just, you know, again, they everybody did a great job handling their, their work, and it just reinforces to me how important and dangerous the work that they do day in and day out. So just want to thank them for their service to our community. And, um, you know, hopefully we can find out the reason, the results of this uh, accident and, and make sure we can do better uh, in the future. But again, thank you to everybody that was involved in our, our prayers with uh, everybody every single day. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Kirshner. Thank you, Madam Chair and Chief Johnson. I wanna just thank you personally for every all the leadership that you've shown here. I think, I believe you were out of town at the time this occurred. It was a long you, night right back. It, yeah, it was. And we, we, we exchanged texts a few times. So thank you for showing that leadership and stepping up when it was needed. I know I know you probably didn't, you didn't second guess it, I'm sure, but I just wanted to thank you for that and for everybody who's, who stepped in. The, the, the only question I really had was, I'm, and I've heard it a little bit, and I've gotten a lot of questions from constituents and whatnot, how they might be able to help. As you find out if there's a GoFundMe or different ways that the community can help, please continue to share that with us. I know there are a lot of different families that are impacted here, but anything that you hear, please, would you be willing to share that with our office so we can then- So we'll do that in just know. about, we're, that's my voice for a cause. You'll do that in about two minutes. You'll you get that information. Yep, yep. excellent. Okay. Is that all of the information? Well, except for the for the, for Miss, um, the homeowner, and I can talk okay. about that, yeah. That'd be excellent, but in anything in addition, that'd be very much appreciated, thank you. Thank yep. you. Um, before I call on Ms. Um, Brixman, Ms. Chief Johnson, you might want to just discuss why the decision was made to do the contributions through one source. Sure. Because I, because Mr. Kirshner's questions are great questions. We've got we've got it quite a bit. That, but but with the exception of the homeowner, the, the the request is that that all the contributions go through one source. Correct. Yes. Okay. And that was a joint decision between myself and again Chief Short, who's the chief of the Sterling Volunteer Fire Company and their board of directors, um, because holistically we wanted to make sure that everyone was being taken care of. Uh, Firefighter Brown being a line of duty death is entitled to uh, benefits because of that from the state of Virginia, nationally, some nonprofit organizations. But for other folks that were injured in various degrees, they may not be entitled to those same benefits because obviously they didn't receive a, a line of duty death. So our, our, our efforts were to try and help everybody. So um, everybody will have an opportunity to receive 
some assistance as they need, right? Um, and everybody's need is differently. Um, you mentioned our school teacher, um, Mr. Diamond's going to be out of work for a long period of time. And, um, you know, we've got to protect, he's got a family to support, as you mentioned, four children, uh, supervised Laterno. Everybody has different needs. Some of our folks aren't married and, and they're single and they might have a different need than uh, a family, a father of four. Um, so that's where this organization comes in. Um, it's obviously a, a nonprofit organization that can handle the paperwork, right? Um, GoFundMe's and things could be problematic, which is why we chose to go with this in lieu of, of a GoFundMe page that you would normally see. Um, and then it, it can be controlled and the family doesn't get the burden of dealing with, um, you know, dealing with money. And we'll, we'll, the First Responders Foundation will handle that. So. Thank you. Thank you very much. Miss um, Glass, I know there's something you would want to say, but I also know that you just have no voice, and so I know you're just going to send your love and support to Chief Johnson and the entire system. Yes? Yes. Okay. Miss <laughs> Bricksman. Uh, uh, supervisor. Oh, Supervisor Turner, you just turned your light on. Yeah, thank you. Just very briefly, I used to work for Red Cross Disaster Relief in the language we used. There were 25,000 disasters in the United States every year, if you include house fires and those sorts of things. And the language we used in the Red Cross was, please donate to help the victims of this and other disasters. And it was very specific language because everybody wants to help the victims of this disaster. But uh, as the chief is saying, by uh, donating to this single source, you can certainly earmark your, your yes. contribution. But I would suggest, please don't. And uh, it's because I know the family is being taken care of and the, and the, the firefighters that uh, were injured in this are being taken care of. But there are hundreds and hundreds of first, or thousands of first responders that will benefit from a general contribution to that single source. So I really, I really encourage you to, to, to resist your urge to focus at an earmark and, and give to the foundation to trust them to get it to the people that need it the most. Thank you. Supervisor Turner, you, you just re reminded me of something when you, you said the Red Cross, and um, I, something I forgot to mention was you, you we're, we're focused on this single home and, and the actions of this homeowner. Um, we've been working with building and development, and our fire marshals do that all the time. There are, there are other homeowners in the area that have uh, significant damage, and there are at least two other uninhabitable homes due to this. Um, so there are other people in the area, many homes in the area that are affected by this. And again, two other homes are completely uninhabitable at this point, at least, and there may be more. Um, and that, or we work with building development to make sure that, 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 and they'll have to work with their insurance companies. Thank you. Miss, Miss uh, DeCroning. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for all, the, all, everything that you've done. I mean, my heart goes out to the family and to the injured firefighters. If there's anything I can do, please reach out. Do you know if the homeowners, if, they're, if they've done a GoFundMe page or anything? Um, I, can I think Chair Randall it. has information yeah. on that. Oh, okay. So that's separate. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank mm -hmm. you, Chief John. Thank you. Yep. Ms. Bricksman. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Chief Johnson, for being here. And um, Supervisor Sainz touched on this a little bit, but I, being on the scene Friday night, I've never seen anything like that in my life. And I... I have to switch the channel when a serve pro commercial comes on now because it's it it's unbelievable and what was also unbelievable was the response and chief williams um, did a great job please tell him that for us um, the coordination from on the scene and then over at the firehouse um, for the peer support groups was was nothing short of amazing um, and so of course we wish 
everyone well and and you know our our deepest condolences to the family um, and as I started to think about company 11 and, and how much that company has meant to my community um, not just as a supervisor or you know a gonking supervisor or vice chair of the board that company has checked my child's car seats 19 21 years ago they hosted my girls Brownie Troop. They used to come to our triathlons and shower everyone with water. They came to my son's birthday party. Um, they hosted our, our swim meet banquets. Um, they were just out a couple years ago checking my smoke detectors. Um, and they couldn't have been more friendly and more responsive and just happy to be there to help prevent things like fires and what happened Friday night. Um, and so please do let us know if there's anything the community can do to help. Um, people have been reaching out, as you know, and I'm glad that we have the central location for that. Um, one thing that um, I think I emailed you about, and we've been getting a number of folks who are worried now, of course, about their gas lines, and are there other propane tanks in the county, and <laughs> what do we do about that? And I just want to confirm, I, I think you're kind of working on a communique about those sorts of things so that um, we will have sort of answers. You probably have all this information already, maybe even like accessible, but just wanted to confirm that, that folks will be getting some more information about that. Yes, and, and as I mentioned to um, supervisor previously that, you know, if you smell gas, 911, hopefully you don't smell gas. That's the, that's the goal, you don't smell gas and don't have to call 911. The biggest single thing that a homeowner can do, just like you do for everything else, is just like you do for your car, hopefully, is have it serviced annually, right? Um, the, 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 there's, propane is not abnormal, right? You can heat your house by electric, by fuel, by natural gas, or by propane, or there's probably other methods too, solar maybe. Um, but but there's other there's hazards with each of them. So have your equipment serviced each year, right? Well, I'm not an HVAC technician, so mm -hmm. call somebody and have your equipment serviced, right? And spe uh, especially if something's 20 years old, just like your car, cars don't last 20 years without having somebody, a mechanic, look at it every so often or having checked. You go for an inspection every year. Think of your devices, your HVAC devices, the same way. Have it checked every year. Have a service technician come out and check. Have your propane company come out and check. They're the professionals, not me. We, we deal with the emergencies, unfortunately, but you've got to call the right people at the right time to have it checked and serviced. So. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, Chief Johnson, I actually did not come out to the scene because you all expressly asked us not to and because I did not believe I would be a value add by being there. So it wasn't just I won't be in the way. It's if I can't add to what I'm being, why I'm there, there was no reason for me to go to the scene. So I, I did not for that express reason. Um, I will say that um, I, I do want us to all also remember the homeowner. Her name is Kelly Woods. She does have a GoFundMe page set up by her sister, Elizabeth Exix. It is a valid GoFundMe page. And so if someone wants to go look for the Kelly Woods GoFundMe page, that would be there as well. I have, heard, I've, I have seen some criticism of Ms. Woods. She did nothing wrong. She did everything right, in fact, um, by, uh, by making everyone aware and calling. And she has lost um, all of her worldly possessions. So I, I do want to remember that the, the civilians are also our constituents and make um, be aware of that. Um, 
if you could just briefly, because I'm getting the same questions that Ms. Letourneau talked about and Ms. Brixman talked about. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, why would anyone have a propane tank in this day and age and that type of thing? And, and from what I understand, it's not that unusual to have a propane tank. So could you a little bit talk about that, the fact that we do have those in Loudoun and when somebody should call like Ms. Woods did or when they shouldn't call? Could you maybe have that discussion just a little bit? Sure. Uh, you know, propane tanks can be two, two methods, right, above ground and below ground. You know, gas gas filling, you know, for gasoline could be above ground tank or below ground tank. So it's a choice um, for those that from, come from this community know that it's an older community. It's not, it's not a young community. Um, at one point, I don't believe there was natural gas in this community. There is natural gas now near the community, but I don't believe, I don't, I don't know 100%, but I don't believe this home is even serviced by natural gas. So your only option then is electric, you know, equipment or propane. I can't speculate even what the propane supplied, right? Where there's propane tank underground, there's lines, um, and I'm not here to, I'm not, uh, you know, the fire marshal hasn't, com you know, completed their investigation. So it's too early to tell that what this propane even supplied. That's what they're looking at now, where do the lines go and so forth. So it is not abnormal at all to have a propane tanks above ground or underground tank. We run them often. A lot of times what's happened um, when we run propane tank emergencies underground is that they'll bring in heavy equipment to their yard to do landscaping, and the piping is usually above ground. And more than likely what happens is a mower or an excavator runs over the top of the piping and shears it off, and then we have a leak, and we come out and do that. And we either offload the propane into, a, into another tank, or occasionally we have to flare it off, which means we have to burn off the propane. Our hazard materials response team has the ability and has done that on many occasions. So we can't leave the propane in the tank leaking. We yeah. have to mitigate it. <laughs> Folks have asked, why were you in that home? The media asked me that. The media did ask we, you we that. Had to, we had to mitigate the emergency. Right. We have to stop the flow of gas and control the flow of gas and then get the occupants out of the house and then obviously ventilate. So that is not a moment. We had to be in the house to do what we need to do. Right, yeah. Well, Chief Johnson, I, I know you're going to keep us informed. You guys have been done a, done a great job of keeping us informed. We will share what you ask us to share, and we will do what you ask us to do, no more, no less, because, as you said, the Sterling volunteers are leading a lot of this effort, and then, of course, the combined system overall. And so we're just trying to uh, follow your lead and respect that. So thank you very much for being here this evening. Thank I you. appreciate and, it. And I just will add one thing, Chairman, if I can by chance. You know, I have to remind myself that because it's so natural in our combined system, you know, uh, yes, there, there were career people on this scene and there were volunteers on the scene. Trevor Brown was a volunteer, mm -hmm. Sterling Volunteer Fire Company. It's near and dear in my heart. You've heard me say it before. I started as a volunteer. I'm a fourth generation firefighter. Yeah. Most of our staff started as volunteers, many of them. And yes, we have our local folks that are behind, working with us, local 3756. Trevor was indeed a volunteer and did this for free and gave his life to his, to his community for, for free. Yeah. And um, it's no different. We stand side by side with our volunteer corporation. Absolutely. And, 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 and we have a great system here in Loudoun County. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Supervisors, um, after I go to Mr. Kirshner, I'm actually going to uh, change the agenda just a little bit, and I'm going to go on and go to the Voice for a Cause because I do want the Loudoun First Responders Foundation to, to come up and talk a little bit and give them a little bit more time today. So, But first, we're going to go to Mr. Kirshner for invocation and the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you, Madam Chair. Let's pray. Good guy, we just bow our heads somberly. Um, this evening and um, everything we've heard from the chief and experienced this week 
reminds us of the verse in Scripture which says life is but a vapor and it's here today and gone tomorrow. For some of it's us, it's longer. For some of us, it's shorter. Would you give us a time here on earth, Lord, and um, pray that the passing of Trevor and the injuries to these first responders and their heroism will not only remind us of our own lives and the work we have to do while you have us here on this earth, but will remind us to be kind and to love and to work hard and diligently in everything that we do. We do pray for each of these families. We pray especially for those little children who have lost their dad. And for those whose families are injured. And I just pray, Lord, that you would wrap your arms around them and comfort them in the next couple of weeks, especially in the next couple of years. And that you will minister to them and give them peace that passes all understanding as only you can give. Pray that you'll give each of us in leadership, both in the fire department here on this board in our county, their pastors and spiritual leaders who are working with each of them, their mental health experts, give them wisdom and give us wisdom in helping these injured folks in our community along. And we do thank you for men and women like this who step up and are willing to put themselves in harm's way to protect those of us in the community who depend upon them, Lord. May we never take them for granted. And um, we just pray a special prayer upon them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. His flag of the United States of America and to the Republic Okay, as I said, I'm just going to go a little bit out, a tiny bit out of order right now and go on and call my voice for a cause up. And to say first that I actually changed my voice for a cause. It was going to be somebody else, but I thought the First Responders Foundation was an appropriate voice for a cause to get into the room uh, tonight. So if Jennifer Andos will come to the podium, the First Responders Foundation serves our county by providing immediate financial support to active first responders personnel in their time of need, both career and, and uh, volunteers. The mission of the Loud and First Responders is to financially support active first responders um, and and be there in, for any illness or conditions in the line of duty or loss of active duty um, at times. I, I'm going to take just a moment to say that there has been, you know, Chief Johnson and, and the Sterling Volunteers expressly ask us to say that they want to know, the, to, to please not have a lot of contribution efforts going forward, a lot of, first, a lot of GoFundMes. I really, 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 really appreciate it that everyone almost kind of reflexively wants to do that and wants to help. But for some of the reasons that you're going to talk about, Jennifer, it was decided to go through one organization. Um, um, and I, I'd like you, um, I'm going to ask you a, a couple of questions. But first, I'm going to just ask you why it is that the combined system and the volunteers made the request that this, that their contributions contributions funneled through once one 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 body one system so um, 
We are an established organization. We've already been established for, I think, 15 years. Don't quote me on that. But, um, and on our board sits representatives from all of the Loudoun County agencies. So they come to us with, um, often come to us in meetings saying somebody got injured, he's not asking for help. What do you suggest we could say to him that he would ask? Our first responders, very, I'm really emotional, I'm sorry. Um, our first responders often don't ask for help. Mm -hmm. um, they're very, they just, you know, they consider this their life mission and they don't ask for help. And so we are there all of the time. Um, sometimes we just pay someone's gas bill, mortgages, all kinds of different things. But be, the reason why we've become um, the central collection agency, I, guess, I don't even know if that's the right way, but contribution, contribution <laughs> is because there is a very um, specific but simple way for our first responders to apply for benefits. Um, there's a one-page form that they download from our website or they get from the HR representative and they write a little tiny, I mean literally one page, um, it gets signed off by their supervisor to actually say that they're an employee and it gets sent to us and we evaluate um, the donation. The, what going forward, it's not just going to be these 11 people that we hear about. Um, some people were driving the trucks, people were digging out. There's gonna be a lot of mental health initiatives that we'll do. A lot of the requests we have are for mental health services. And so it will go far beyond um, what's happened. You know, Trevor, of course, we've paid for his funeral and we've already allocated extra expenses if that is what we've donated is not enough. But um, our other injured firefighters, and like I said, the ones on the scene, everyone's gonna need help. It's going to be at least a year mm -hmm. that they'll be coming for services. Mm -hmm. And so we, um, I don't want to say what they'll be the forgotten, but there's people that are not, their names aren't in the paper, but they right. are, they're going to need help. Yeah. And so we're the people that will be ready for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for saying that because I, I, I mean, I, I know that some people have gotten frustrated when, when, when I've said and we've said, like, please don't start a lot of pages, try to go to one location, but to one organization. But that was the request of our firefighters. Um, so, so you talked about just briefly, but can you talk about some of the different services you might be offering for during this incident? Yeah, so during this incident, um, we, so essentially, um, Chief Johnson is on a, a daily text with our president of the board, Tina Johnson, but um, we will, we're really just standing at the ready. I don't even know a better way to say it. This is what we do. We prepared, we raise money all the time ready for an incident. Um, we'll go six months without getting a request, and then something like this will happen, which mm -hmm. thankfully we haven't had a tragedy in a very long time, but um, we'll respond to requests. Um, the fire department themselves, um, 11 seems, you know, they've gotten a ton of support, but there still might be something that they need. Um, we, as an organization, really what we do is respond to requests. The only three things that we do all the time is we give scholarships to first responders and their children. Mm. On First Responders Day, we bring gifts to the stations to say thank mm. you. And then at the end of the school year, uh, we do, uh, with LCPS, we do a luncheon 
for SROs and firefighters and now basically anyone that wants to go mm -hmm. um, to thank them for their service for the year. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're really a response agency. Well, and the last thing is um, there, there are a lot of people, as Mr. Kirshner said, who are looking for ways to contribute and give money. Mm -hmm. And this is, a, again, this is apart from Ms. Woods, who does have her own GoFundMe yes. page up. So can you tell all the people who have been reaching out to say, how do we help? What do we do? Now is the, now is the time. Yes. How do they help and what do they do? Yes, now is the time. Um, so I would be remiss my... Uh, I have to say, I just want everyone here to know that we are a fully volunteer organization. So um, none of us get paid. Our return rate for the money we collect, we give roughly 97.5% of every dollar that we collect back. Wow. Um, we have zero overhead. So um, that's part of the reason why it's important to all of us to collect it in one spot because we really make the most of every penny. Um, that's really important to know. Yes, and we're all... I think everyone on our board is a business owner, so we have really great connections. So we've done things like get HVAC units installed in someone's house um, that went it's outside of a financial donation. Um, so we also kind of work our we work our networks because um, everything we everything we have are uh, financial donations from business partners and from individuals in the community. Um, so in order to for anyone to donate, our website is lfrf.org. Uh, you can learn all about us. Um, we have our history there and where our funding goes. Um, simple donations, PayPal, anyone can do it. In there, there is a note section, so um, we encourage people to include their name and contact information. Because we have a 501c3, mm -hmm. uh, we send letters and receipts to everyone who donates. Oh, wow. That okay. This time yeah. may take quite some time. Yes, sure. But sure. generally, <laughs> very yeah. quickly. Yeah. 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 Well, please thank um, Ms. Johnson, who I think we all know and uh, feel very fondly for, and, and everyone on the board. You guys are—I know—you're going to be very busy over the next, over the next couple of, well, really the next year, because you're right. Some of the mental health and the trauma won't even won't even manifest for quite a long time. So please thank them as well. I will. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank I thank you for all being of you here. for supporting us and. In the community, <laughs> no, this is no, just no, 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 unbelievable. <laughs> I really, right, thank you, Jack. Really, all right, thank you. Okay, we're going to try to get back on um, script now. I'm going to read the consent agenda. It is as follows: Item One A, appointments and confirmations. Item Two, the AIR report for February twentieth, two thousand twenty-four. Item Three. The assentence package added um, for the retention and expansion of TTM technologies. Item 4A, contract award consult services for transportation planning and preliminary engineering. Item 4B, contract road, road, roadway and civil design services for Cola Mills Drive, Segment 1, Belmont Road to Stonebridge to Stone Springs Boulevard. Item 4C, contract renewal engineering services for the Loudoun County Stormwater Management Program. Item 4D, contract renewal information technology solutions and services. Item 4E, affordable multifamily housing loan program application for the Commonwealth's lofts. Item 4F, affordable multifamily housing loan applications for old Arcola School apartments. Item 4G, community development block grant funding recommendations, public service activities. Item 4H, 
2023 Loudoun Health Commission Annual Report. Please, 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 please go read that. Um, item 4I, proposed amendment to the codified ordinance of Loudoun County Chapter 4, um, sorry, 8, 48-023A1, criteria for open space use qualifications, historic resources protection. And then item 5A, the permanent pump and hall request. Um, that is not that we do have one pump and hall that stayed in TLUC. This is not that pump and hall. And it's motion um, number two in the item. So that is the consent report. Is there a motion to approve? Uh, in fact, I'm making a motion to approve. Is there a second? Motion made seconded by Supervisor Brixman. Discussion on the motion. Mr. Saines, do you have a discussion on the motion, the consent agenda? Uh, yes, Madam Chair, thank you mm -hmm. um, for going to me. Just real quickly wanted to say that TTM Technologies, I'm very happy that this is going on the consent. And with the work of Buddy Riser and his team over at Economic Development, they did a good job to, um, to attract or maintain uh, TTM Technologies here in Loudoun County and Sterling District. They've been here for a few years now, but they're going to be consolidating their locations and happy to say that Sterling is going to be one of their locations. They're going to be bringing in more resources. So, um, so I like to say TTM Tech Technologies, thank you. This decision to go all in with Loudoun is a testament to the strength of our local economy and the quality of our workforce. Uh, this expansion will provide valuable job opportunities for Loudoun skilled workers and further solidify the county's position as a leader in advanced manufacturing. So again, thank you, uh, Mr. Reiser and all the economic development folks and TTM Technologies for going all in into Sterling and Loudoun County. Thank you, sir. Um, and I will associate myself with your comments. <laughs> and so will Ms. Brooksman. Anybody else? All right, all in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed? That motion will pass 9-0. I want to say for Ms. Glass that there is one deletion to tonight's agenda, and that is a closed session. Item number, number one will be deferred to the March 5th business meeting. This item actually is in the Broad Run District, and since Ms. Glass can't be here and can't talk, she, <laughs> she asked that we defer the item, so that item will be deferred to the March 5th business meeting. Um, all right. Um, for my for my um, chair's comments, I have a lot because we went to um, NACO. So there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I think everybody else would have quite a bit as well. And then, Ms. Tacroni, you're going to cover COG for me, right? All right. So um, I'm going to hand out, I'm going to hand stuff out to you all as we go along just because sometimes I say I'm going to and I put it in your box and then sometimes I don't put it in your box. So some things are going to be for staff. I'll give that to the clerk so she can give to all the staff members. First, I want to hand you the federal policy priorities through the National Organization of Counties for everyone to have one of these. To, um, just in general, I want you to know what NACO, that, is that enough? What NACO's federal policies are. And so you're getting the federal policies federal policy priorities. I also have one for Mr. Freeman and for Ms. McClellan. I'll give that to the clerk. Um, NACO this time was, NACO's always about a lot of things, but this time the two main items at NACO was housing and mental health, which is interesting since those are the two things we talk about quite a bit also. So on the housing discussion, um, as we have said before, the housing issue or the lack of attainable housing issue is not just a Loudoun County issue. 
or a Virginia issue or a regional issue. It is a countrywide issue. Um, there is a report, the Nexus report, uh, that came out and it talks about how grants and other forms of revenue can be leveraged um, using housing trust fund matching funds. So I bought a copy of this for, for Monica Sales, for, for, for Mr. Hall, um, and for Aaron McClellan. I have a copy of that report for all of them. Um, somebody said, and I, I thought this was really a good statement, the only way to solve the housing crisis is to create more housing opportunities. They also talked about the fact that not having housing actually is much more expensive because it is much more expensive to serve precariously housed youth, youth or other people um, uh, we, and because we're not, I mean, we, we are going to serve them. And it's the best way to provide health care, the best way to provide mental health care, to the best way to provide all that is to put people in a supportive living environment, um, a housing environment with wraparound services. So there's kind of a one-stop shop so you can help people. So sometimes we think we're saving money when we don't provide homes. And all the studies, and there are many, and I can send those to you if you're interested, show just the opposite. You actually cost your county or your locality more money if you don't provide homes. Obviously, where you provide them is important. Obviously, we have zoning and we don't put them everywhere, but there are, but, but it is more cost effective and in many ways more humane to provide homes than not. Um, there were also some numbers that were truly disturbing. I shared some of those, especially for African-Americans, um, people of color, and single mothers. As I said last week, African-American home ownership is the same as it was in 1968. That has not changed, and that is just, just, just a problem. And so lots of discussion in NACO around housing. Um, on mental health support, there was an interim resolution to enhance mental health um, parity and, and equity. I have those reports available as well. There was a report done, or a report that will be done um, regarding the relationship between the, the benefits from the Veterans Association and suicide prevention, which is, I think, a really interesting discussion. There was a really, and this is Mr. Mr. Kirshner, I, I, he and I talked about this a little bit after I came back from NACO. There was a fairly robust discussion in the Health um, Steering Committee. That, so the Agriculture and Rural Committee came to the Health Steering Committee to ask if the HHS Committee, which is what I'm on, the Health Committee, would co-sign an effort to have EMTs who serve rural areas get paid more because they have a hard time finding EMTs to serve rural areas and an even harder time to get EMTs to serve what's called frontier areas. Frontier areas means you have to be at least 30 minutes from any type of medical care at all, even an urgent care center. So that motion went up and I voted against the motion. The reason I voted against the motion was because in my head, if you give more money to the EMTs to go to the rural and frontier areas, that's where they would go. And in urban and suburban areas where you have the populations, they, we would have a, a dearth of them. I came back and had this discussion with Mr. Kirshner, who, um, who wasn't able to go to uh, NACO, and he had some different thoughts on that, and I, I, I kind of 
wish we had, we I, had I known this was gonna come up, Mr. Kirshner, I'd have got some of those thoughts before because he had some thoughts on, you know, how we can get EMTs um, out to the rural areas and what is needed out there and talked some, about some things I really wasn't aware of. And it was a really helpful conversation. I just didn't have that information before. Um, but in the end, the decision was made that the HHS committee would not sign on to that effort. However, Ag and Rural Affairs was going to go forward with it themselves and still ask that EMTs in frontier and rural areas uh, get paid more. Um, there was also a lot of discussion around, um, and Mr. Torpy's in the audience, he might understand this a little bit and I have information around um, aging in our counties and, and of course because we put so much um, uh, senior home housing in Loudoun County we have to be aware that when you make housing for people who are 55 years old they're going to be 85 years old in no time at all and so the aging discussion and one of the one of the discussions had was that that often people who are taking care of the aging population is a spouse who is not much different in age themselves, who sometimes are in the same social, emotional, physical, uh, physical shape themselves as the person they're trying to take care of, and the fact that caregivers often are, are dying faster than the people they're taking care of. And then what to do with that, because now you still have somebody who is who has that need. And so there's a national strategy to support the family, to support caregivers. I thought that was interesting. And then there's a whole different discussion about the county's role for people in long-term care, especially people who are trying to age in place in that long-term care. And I thought that was a really interesting and important discussion. Um, two more things. There, was a, there, were, there has been across the entire nation a discussion on crisis intervention centers. And, and why, why crisis intervention centers. I bought, a, I bought some information back for Sheriff Chapman, for, for Margaret Graham, and for, I think, Ms. McClellan, I think you're getting this, but, oh, no, for John, for John, for John Freeman. Um, we know that crisis intervention centers actually, again, save us money in the long run, and it means that people who are sheriff, sheriff and police are not sitting in emergency rooms with people for, hours, sometimes days. And so there is an effort just on Capitol Hill, period, to get much more money in localities for crisis intervention centers. Um, I have had that discussion with our federal officials um, and will continue to have that discussion with our federal officials. And finally, and Mr. Sainz, you're not here, but I bought something back for you and for Ms. Brixman and others. There was an entire discussion on elections in this country. And um, there were, there were, there have been quite a few studies done and without, without any, without any, without equivocation, it has been shown that the 2020 election was um, the, uh, a, one of the, the elections that had the most people involved and was completely a safe, secure election with no, abnormalities in the election at all, period, the end, stop. The problem has been because of all the 
disinformation around that election, there is a we're having a very hard time getting election officers. And I don't mean people who work for for the counties for elections. I mean people who work as election officers. So unfortunately, there it had to have been a tool kit created for election worker protection, which. That's so unfortunate that we're here right now, but there is now a toolkit uh, created so that people who are working elections, um, who are just citizens who are trying to be good people, actually feel like that they can do that without being threatened and without being putting themselves at risk because counties across the country are not being able to find people who are willing to work elections. So I bought one of these back for you, Mr. Sains, because I know that that is something that you've been very involved in. I bought one back for Ms. Brixman. I bought one back for Judy Brown. I bought one back for everyone on the board of elections, uh, one for county administrators, for the county administrators, and one for anybody else who might want information on the national, on, on election protection um, and county's elections administration. So I have a lot of them and I have the link. If you want to have uh, the link, I can send that to you as, as well. Um, but what we know going forward is we have to take care of both our election staff, um, but also the people who are trying to work elections in this country. So it was a lot more than to that at NACO, but those were the highlights. Um, and um, anything else you want, you can, anyone can reach out to me, send me an email. I can send you the, the, the things, I can send you the links, I can send you whatever people want. But I did want to just at least provide people with that information. And I will give the clerk everything that I have that's going to go to the staff, staff members, okay? All right. Thank you, everybody. All right. Mr. Hemstreet, do you have anything you'd like to share this evening? I do, Chair Randall. I, uh, uh, you know, the main thing I was going to talk about was the, the incident on Friday. I know we covered most of it uh, earlier in the meeting. Uh, but I did want to express on behalf of the county staff our sincerest condolences to the family and friends and colleagues of Firefighter Trevor Brown. Um, I think earlier today might have been mentioned the family has set a date that's been announced publicly, which will be March 4th. Um, and I think that's also been been printed. Uh, I'd also like to extend our wishes for speedy recoveries to those first responders uh, who were injured and uh, to reiterate the county's commitment to supporting all of those who have been impacted by the incident. Uh, you know, I, I can't say this enough, uh, and when I see them, I certainly pass that along, but uh, can I express enough gratitude for the first responders who, uh, you know, we did save two lives. Right, so there were two occupants of the of the house, and they were focused on that. And not only did they save the occupants, but I think you heard Chief Johnson talk about it in his remarks. Uh, there were several firefighters trapped in in the structure after the explosion occurred, and um, battalion chief and shift commander, and you mentioned Assistant Chief Williams, as well as all of the crews worked together, and those folks that called the May Day were pulled out of the building, and so that. That also goes to the professionalism and the and the capabilities that our system has, as well as the dedication that those folks have when when faced with with an imminent or or acute threat. Uh, it was also mentioned, though, that this is kind of the beginning, 
right? Um, I know that uh, there's a long road for a couple of, of those firefighters ahead of them um, as they recover from their injuries and as they're released from, from the burn center. Uh, you know, I also want to thank all of those in the Loudoun County community and beyond who have offered their support through a multitude of different ways and donations and well wishes. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of questions and concerns and opinions and everything else like that that comes out in the coming days and weeks and months, speculation about what happened, speculation about who should have done something differently or, or, or what have you. So I would encourage the public um, as well as, as everybody else, everybody else who's not the public, so the public and those who are not the public, um, who want information and how they can support those impacted to visit our official information channels only. Uh, you know that we have for a long time been a transparent organization. Um, Chief Johnson, uh, Loudoun County Fire Rescue, we are doing a significant incident review and, re and a report will be issued. We will provide everything we know about what happened in this incident when we know it. That's gonna take a while. Uh, Chief Johnson talked about the fact that the incident is still under investigation. Uh, I don't need to reiterate what happened. I mean, there was, there was an explosion. I think Chief Williams used it during his press discussion that evening. Uh, total devastation was, I think, the term that he used. And so in order for us to figure out what happened, it's going, we have to dig everything up and we have to try to put it all back together. So that is going to take a while to figure out exactly what happened. So I would ask and encourage everybody who has an interest to, to get their information from our official information channels and not other things that are out there because we will provide what we know when we know it. Uh, I also wanna mention a little bit about the organization. So. You know, it's often things like this and times like this that test the community as well as the county organization itself. Uh, and again, you heard from the chief, but I, I, I can tell you that um, any incident like this includes a lot of people coming together and doing a job, right? So I do want to, I do want to, you know, this is a holiday weekend. I think I was talking, Chair Randall, to you earlier today and you know, we talked about how the fact that a lot of people were scattered, uh, leadership particularly had to come back. It was a holiday weekend. Um, but I will say that anybody who was called, anybody who was asked to come and help out, dropped whatever they were doing, came to work, right? Starting with OEM, starting or emergency management who brought additional equipment and things like that to the scene. Um, uh, support from county administration, from human resources, DIT, finance, budget, procurement, billing development, parks and recreation, DTCI, PAC, well, public affairs, sorry not to use all these letters, but uh, Loudoun County Sheriff's Office. Um, you know, one of the things the chief talked about was, you know, uh, I think it was a little after, almost 3 a.m. in the morning, Saturday morning, uh, Firefighter Brown was, was transported from the scene to the medical examiner's. Loudoun County Sheriff's Office, along with, with the fire department, 
and Fairfax County provided the escort. That's three in the morning. So somebody, somebody had to come to work, was at work, stayed longer, what have you, to do that. Um, animal services, um, and there's others. I mean, I, you know, part of the problem with naming departments is I always forget somebody. So there were other departments out there that responded, you know, yeah, Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, Sunday. You know, we, we ran the operation all the way uh, through the day, um, from Friday night all the way through um, into the evening on, on Saturday. The crews were back at it um, Sunday morning. Uh, you know, externally, I can't say enough about the response and the support from Fairfax County, the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority. Um, both of those agencies provided a significant amount of law enforcement as well as fire rescue support, but more importantly, behavioral health support. I, I know that um, Vice Chair Brisman and, and Chair Randall, you both kind of mentioned those, those things in your comments, but um, Patton Hall was set up to provide that support you know, we did have our folks there, but we also had mutual aid that came in uh, for peer support and behavioral health support that came from those ent entities. Uh, so our external partners, and I'm forgetting others, I think Prince William County and, you know, definitely Washington, D.C. Um, and others provided the support to us when we needed it. So thank you to all of them for that assistance. Uh, we just sent out a mutual aid request for additional behavioral health support because there is an aftermath and an impact to this incident to those of us who were those that were on the scene and, and um, responded directly. So, um, you know, but, but, you know, the county organization showed up as well. So I just want to thank everybody that helped out. Thank you, Mr. Hemstreet. Mr. Hemstreet, I, you know, you are incredibly um, uncomfortable with praise. It's uh, something to tease you about all the time, so I do tease you about that all the time. Um, having said that, you know, what, what you and Ms. McClellan uh, did that night was also absolutely incredible. I don't, you know, I don't believe that, that the best of our county shows up without consistent, strong leadership. And, and, and I'm, when I'm talking, I'm talking about you, I'm talking about Ms. McClellan, I'm talking about the, the assistants, the assistant deputies, um, and in fact, the entire staff. I say all the time who our staff is and what our staff is. And it, it showed that night um, when, it, when it was needed. So. I know you're, I know you always say, you always say, that's my job. And it is true, it is, but not everyone does their job as extraordinarily as you do your job. And, um, and if you're uncomfortable with that praise, you just gotta get over it right now because, <laughs> because you, um, you, you and Ms. McClellan and everyone, you all were phenomenal that night in every way that you needed to be. And, and as you said, this is the beginning. We have a long way to go, um, and I think it, I think it gives us a lot of um, comfort that we know that our county administrator um, is steering the ship in this way. So we appreciate you. Thank you, Chair Randall. I did want to mention one final thing, if I may. Mm -hmm. After all of that, I do want to welcome.
Chris Quintine, <laughs> who was our new assistant county administrator. Where is he? He's is he here. Yeah, he is right there. I'm proud, Chris, to welcome you to this organization. Thank you, Chair Randall. Thank you. Thank you. No, no. Chris, you've actually moved to Loudoun, haven't you? Yes, ma'am. Good job. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Welcome. Okay. Um, we're going to move on to our ledge report um, because right now we have no one to speak. Well, I don't think we have anyone speak. We have no resolutions, and I don't think we have any speakers for 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. <laughs> but we do have a ledge report, and we're going to, I think, Mr. Um, Mr. Uh, Freeman, I think you are uh, remote, correct? That no, is he's correct. Not sick. He's not, yeah, no, he's not he's sick. In he's in Richmond. <laughs> Mr. Freeman, uh, we, this, this one tonight is not an action item. It's just an information item. Now, when I ask for questions, if anyone has questions, you can do that. If anyone wants to offer a motion at that time, you can do that. That is what that is for. Um, so let's just put that out right out there. But in the meantime, Mr. Freeman, how about you give us that report, please? Madam Chair, before Mr. Freeman begins his report, I would just like to say um, Tim introduced you to um, Chris Quintine, our new Assistant County Administrator. I'd just like to mention um, he will be overseeing the legislative program with Mr. Freeman going forward so oh that's um, good to know he will be part so of will he be team. like getting up at God off early times in the morning to drive down to Richmond with us um he will be he will be helping John <laughs> with the legislative program madam chair <laughs> wonderful chair. wonderful I, I know this is awkward and it's completely out of context well then I'm not sure I'm gonna well it's a point of it's important it's it's I'm not sure what it's a point of I just donated to Kelly Woods on GoFundMe. There is already a spoof page up that is a bogus page, and I inadvertently donated to the oh, bogus shoot. page. That's, yeah. So you, everybody who wants to help out Kelly Woods, it's the GoFundMe page that's Kelly Woods by Elizabeth Essex. That's exactly what I said. Not I the other that. one. No, I said that. I said that. And that, and, and, that is, and that is why we, it, it, and that is why we put it through one central location, is that that very thing right there is why we put it and I know there's been criticism of that and criticism of me for saying that but that's why it goes through one location because people you know 99% of Loudoun is good 99.9% .9%, but then we have that 0.1% that might do something to you. Uh, probably not even somebody from Loudoun to be quite honest um, all right we are ready when you are uh, oh, is Chris gonna do this whole thing no, John, really? Johnson. You know, hey, I, I, hey. Was, I was going to give him a break tonight, but I'm here. Next time. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll take it. All right, Mr. Freeman, we're ready. <laughs> well, good evening, Madam Chair, members of the board. Um, I would like to start off with the Loudoun County initiatives. Um, so I'll start off with the job of the contracting bill. Uh, that was uh, passed by the Senate today and sent to the governor's desk for Senate. Um, and if you remember, this is the limits to job order contracting, which is the routine procurement method that we use for, uh, you know, HVAC maintenance, things of that nature. Uh, the public notice bill, which is probably you all's favorite bill, uh, that is on the Senate floor. Uh, the, there was a Senate bill uh, that dealt with uh, public notices that was amended match our house bill 
and that is on the House floor. So we anticipate that both of those bills will go to the governor's desk for some. Uh, the next is, sorry, give me one second. I think there's some feedback. Um, the next is the uh, updates from Budget Sunday. Uh, on uh, Sunday, the uh, subcommittee uh, subcommittees uh, in the House and Senate uh, reported out on the uh, committee amendments, a very general report. Uh, the uh, amendments were posted today. Uh, so staff is still doing a deep dive into exactly what um, uh, the House and Senate passed in totality. Uh, but um, I'll go over some overarching um, issues that are important to the board. Uh, so particularly on Metro funding uh, in the House budget where FY25 was included uh, 65 million. Uh, in FY26, uh, there was 84.5 for Metro funding, uh, waiver of the 3% cap over the biennium, as well as funding for a study of long-term funding solutions to transportation in Northern Virginia, which includes WMATA. Uh, in the Senate, unfortunately, there wasn't any additional funding for Metro. Uh, there was a 3% cap waiver and uh, funding for a study uh, for Metro as well. Uh, for K-12 funding, and I anticipate you'll hear from LCPS soon uh, on what this exactly means for Loudoun County, uh, but uh, the Senate proposal threw $1.6 billion on top of the billion that was in the governor's introduced budget to bring uh, total education investments to $2.6 billion. Uh, the House took the same approach, um, particularly in the Senate budget, which was interesting, uh, was that they wanted to highlight that they uh, honored their prior commitments by providing $400.6 million to fully remove the cap on support positions, uh, as well as $243.1 million to restore the grocery tax, uh, grocery sales tax supplemental payments uh, that the governor removed. Uh, so that was something that they highlighted. Again, uh, how much money that exactly means for Loudoun County, I anticipate uh, we'll hear from LCPS soon uh, on that. Uh, particularly for crisis services, uh, the House uh, put 55 million dedicated to crisis services to provide immediate support to individuals who need it most. Um, this means uh, developing more crisis receiving centers and crisis stabilization units uh, and further building up the Marcus Alert uh, program. The Senate took a different approach. Uh, they were still evaluating exactly uh, where they appropriated a lot of their money, but it looks like they focused on staffing issues in the behavior health field. Uh, and the arena bill uh, was written entirely into the House budget, and the Senate did not include uh, language for the arena bill. So I just want to highlight that. Uh, although we don't have a position on the arena bill, I know that that is something uh, that has been in the news a lot uh, these past mm -hmm. couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just like to finish uh, with uh, the fact that the House and Senate both adjourned their floor sessions yesterday mm -hmm. in honor of Loudoun County Firefighter Trevor Brown. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, Mr. Letourneau. Thank you. I just wanted to ask about two bills in particular. 
Um, I've had some discussion with the airport's authority on um, SB 354, which is the, uh, the one that would strike our airport impact overlay district noise um, regulations. And I'm aware of some of the strategy around that, but um, I assume that, you know, that, that's in our opposed column. I assume that we're also engaged in working with the, the group on that one. Uh, that is correct. We are currently working with MWA uh, on the best uh, path forward on those bills. Uh, you know, the issue with those bills uh, is the uh, patrons. Uh, so yeah. Delegate Simon and Senator Locke are very, very uh, well respected, and they are in the majority party. And so, um, you know, we are engaging in a ton of lobbying activities uh, to uh, make sure that uh, you know uh, mandatory disclosures. Uh, dealing with noise, in particular to uh, homes that are in close proximity to Dulles Airport, uh, maintain um, uh, their existence in the Commonwealth. Yeah, um, and I know there's potentially an amendment there as well, um, but that might be one where some individual outreach from us to our delegation might be helpful, um, a few in particular. Um, SB 544 is, a, is another um, fun bill that uh, supersedes our zoning authority. Um, I was actually, to be honest, kind of surprised that that passed the Senate. Um, did it pass? Was there a House companion on that one, and did it pass? Uh, there wasn't a House companion on that bill. Uh, that is uh, another issue where, um, you know, it really, I would say, passed the Senate most uh, mostly because of the patrons, Senator Bagby, who's well respected and, and the majority party as well. Uh, and so we are actually working side by side with uh, VACO as well as Virginia Beach uh, to make sure that that bill doesn't get through the House. Okay. Mr. Sainz, you have, do you have anything? Uh, no, Madam Chair. Okay. Uh, oh, one thing about that. Thank you um, to Ms. Sidner for her um, response in regards to Bill SB 304. I don't know if everybody saw that. No, which one is SB 304, Mr. Sainz? That's the accessory dwelling unit. Oh, the accessory dwelling unit. Okay, gotcha. Ms. Got Sidner uh, sent an email to the board late yeah. this afternoon. Okay. Ms. Sidner, thank you. Um, so, you know, this is not so much a question but a comment. You know, I think it would, it would behoove us to have a discussion in VACO and VML about, the, about what zoning is. <laughs> the amount of bills this year that would completely destroy our zoning have been astounding, including bills like, you know, if a religious organization buys, owns one, one acre of land, then they can build on that acre of land without ever coming to the board about, you know, whether or not we even allow uh, uh, residences in that area. Or um, the one that Mr. Higgins called me about, and that was the a solar farm can a solar array can be built almost anywhere in in the county. If some, I mean, the 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 misunderstanding around what zoning is. I mean, some of these bills would have completely taken Western Loudoun County off the map. We wouldn't have Western Loudoun County anymore. It just would, it wouldn't be anymore. And so, um, 
maybe after the session, uh, we can talk to VACO and VML um, and have some type of joint effort to help um, the General Assembly members who have never served in local office understand why we have zoning and why you have to have an infrastructure if you're going to start putting homes everywhere and why we don't want to put homes in Western Loudoun County and all those types of things because some of those like discussions were really, <laughs> I, I, I have been surprised and we've stopped almost all of them. I think um, almost all of them have been halted, but not not everyone. And so that would be my, my suggestion that we, you know, work with other counties or uh, organizations just to have a discussion about what zoning is and why it exists. I, I do want to say thank, thank gracious for Mamie Locke, who, who did serve in local government and more than once said, this will destroy local zoning. You can't do this. She has been such a great voice for us in the Senate to stop so many of the really bad um, bills that would have just decimated our, our, our entire zoning law. So I want to publicly thank Senator Locke for that. She has been a, a champion of local government this session. I think that might be all. Except for that one bill I just Except for that one bill she just mentioned. But I do want to, oh, speaking of, Mr. Letourneau and whomever else, so you did speak about the arena bill. Have, have we, for lack of a better word, decoupled Metro from the arena bill? Yes, we have. Okay. Okay. I think that... <laughs> I think that everybody understands that they really shouldn't and shouldn't be tied up together. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, Good. That does not stop political negotiating tactic type of things from happening. Sure. Sure. But people understand they shouldn't be coupled. The governor said it publicly, so I I think that's good. Okay. Yes. That's good. That's good. That's good news. All right. Mr. Freeman, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Next time we're gonna um, let um, the new assistant. County Administrator do the entire thing though, just just cause. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, supervisors, do we have if you have any nominations, please put your lights on right now, please. All right, Mr. Turner. Thank you, Madam Chair. I nominate Brent Campbell to the Housing Advisory Board to fill an at-large representative seat. Ms. DeCrony. I nominate Angela Ruckman to an at-large seat of the Historic District Review Committee and Douglas Steele to an at-large seat on the Art Advisory Committee. Mr. Sains? Uh, none for me. Um, Ms. Glass will get yours next time, okay? Okay. <laughs> And I will nominate um, Linda Silverman to an at-large seat in the Community Services Board and re-nominate Michael Rells to an at-large seat on the Advisory Commission on Youth. Supervisors, um, let's do this. Let's go into closed session, uh, have our dinner in closed session, come back out, do our board comments, and then go home. <laughs> How's that sound? That sounds awesome. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sorry, and I'm doing that because I, I have to get us, we need to get to 6 o'clock because we need to get to the time where public 
uh, public input would start. We can't be off the, we can't adjourn before the time the public input would start. So we, we need to get to that time. So that's why I'm doing it in this order. All right, I'm sorry. That's fine. Um, I move that the Board of Supervisors recess this public meeting and enter into closed session pursuant to section 2.2-3711A3 of the Code of Virginia to consider acquisition disposition of a parcel or parcels of property for public use in the Algonquian Electric Dis Election District. Is there a second? I was seconded by Mr. Crony discussion on that. Mr. Sainz, Mr. Sainz, do you plan on coming in closed session? Virtual, uh, virtual? Uh, yes, ma'am. Okay. And Ms. Glass, do you? <laughs> can we put her? <laughs> can we just put her on the screen? I think she said yes. She said yes. Okay. I got to hear from her. Doesn't matter, but I didn't count unless I hear from her. I'm just messing with you, Sylvia. All right. Um, all in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Aye. That motion will pass 9-0. All right, Supervisor, we're in closed session. Staff ma my staff made me come to.
You have, a, you have a motion, right? All right, supervisors, we are, I'm gonna ask Ms. Brixman to read out of closed session. Before I do that, let me make sure that Mr. Sainz and Ms. Glass are on with us. Mr. Sainz, can you hear me? Are they on yes, ma'am, I'm here. Wonderful, Ms. Uh, Ms. Glass? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Some people up here are going, oh, uh, I am not. I am laughing at you, just so you know how this Aww. is going up here. <laughs> no, Miss, Miss, Miss Glass, if you need something, like let us know. We can bring you by something, hot tea or w food or whatever you might need. Let us, send me a text and we'll, we'll take care of you. All right, Miss Glass, I mean, Miss Brixman, let's read that closed session. Okay, I move that the closed session be adjourned, that the Board of Supervisors reconvene its public meeting, that the minutes of the public meeting shall reflect that no formal action was taken in the closed session, and further move that the resolution certifying the closed session be adopted and reflected in the minutes of this public meeting. Motion's made and second. Is there, uh, I'll second that discussion on that motion. No. Mr. Sainz, Ms. Glass, you guys good? All people to say aye. Yes. Aye. 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 Oh, they're oh, good. Whoa. <laughs> any, any opposed? All right. If I'd like everyone to affirm, please. Ms. Glass, will you please affirm? Affirm. Mr. Sainz. Affirm. Ms. I'm stop. Affirm. Mr. Kirsten. Affirm. Mr. Deterno? Affirm. 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 And I affirm as well. Okay, um, Ms. Um, Brixman, you have another motion? Would you I like to do. read it? Thank you, Madam Chair. <laughs> <coughs> I move the Board of Supervisors authorize the county administrator to execute a purchase agreement approved as to form by the county attorney with James and Mary Askegren for real property consisting of a total of 90 acres identified as pins 027-48-5634 and 027-38-8257 and 027-386159 in the Algonquian Election District for a purchase price of 5.5 million. And I further move that the Board of Supervisors direct $200,000 be allocated for due diligence studies and closing costs and authorize the amendment of the FY 2024 Capital Improvement Program by directing staff to execute a budget adjustment not to exceed 5.7 million from the county land acquisition fund project to a newly created land acquisition and due diligence for the Askegren property project in the capital projects fund. Motion is made and seconded by Supervisor Tacroni. <coughs> Discussion on the motion, Supervisor Brixman. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. I, I just wanna say thank you to staff. Um, this has been a long negotiation to um, come to an agreement on the purchase of this property, but I'm very excited that we are going to be extending the Potomac Heritage Trail further west toward um, the Broad Run and Ask um, sorry, and Bless Park. We also will hopefully have an additional put-in for kayaks and canoes. There's also a beautiful barn on the property that I hope that we can preserve and use for uh, county um, facilities and or storage and or um, interpretive areas. It's a, it's a beautiful property and I'm very excited that we're gonna be able to add more passive recreation to Algonquian District. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, anybody else? I don't think Mr. Sainz or Mr. Ms. Glass has anything. 
All right. Ms. Uh, Brixman, congratulations. Thank you, ma'am. Good job. Very good job. Um, please, please say aye. Aye. Opposed? Aye. Opposed. That motion will pass 9-0. Um, supervisors, we have one speaker for our uh, 6 o'clock time. Um, it is Mr. Renard Parker, who wants to talk on Step Up Loudon. Mr. Parker, if you would come to the podium closest to you, um, state your name for the record, and you will have two and a half minutes, sir. Do I just get started? After you say your name. Uh, my name is Renard <laughs> Parker. Yep, you can just get started. My name is Renard Parker, and my brother and I are working on a project for Step Up Loudon called Sustainable Solutions Empowering Communities Against Hunger. This project is driven by teenagers who believe in the power of youth led by in activities to make a positive impact on the world. Our project is focused on addressing hunger with our communities. We aim to create sustainable solutions that empower individuals and foster a sense of unity. Together, we're taking on a big challenge that aligns with one of the goals of the 2023 Loudoun County Energy Strategy to reach net zero by 2045. We're all about applying the principles of composting and community gardening to achieve broader county goals. Research and, and needs assessment, we're diving deep into understanding the hunger crisis in our community. Education and awareness campaign, we're spreading the word about composting, sustainable farming, and how it all ties into a greener future for Loudoun County. Phase three, com community gardens and sustainable farming, we will get our hands dirty to grow fresh, healthy food right here in our Loudoun County neighborhoods. Youth engagement and empowerment, we will inspire our friends to the next generation to be environmental stewards and change makers. Advocacy and policy change, we're amplifying the voices of our community to ensure that policies align with our goals for a greener, more equitable future. Monitoring and evaluation, we're committed to tracking our progress and adjusting along the way to ensure our, that our efforts are making a real difference. But our work doesn't stop here. We need your help, Loudoun County. Join us in our mission to empower communities against hunger and build a more sustainable future for all. Together, we, we can make a difference. We will back, we will be back to keep you posted on our progress. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much, and we look forward to you uh, to keeping us posted. Let me ask you one question: Do you know where do you live? Do you do you know what district you live in? Uh, Tell me where you live. I live in the Aspen. That's what I thought in the Aspen district. Thank you, thank you very much. All right, supervisors, um, let's do let's do your board comments, and uh, don't forget your disclosures, please, Ms. Umstadt. No disclosures, no board comments. Thank you. Um, Mr. Saints. No mandatory disclosures this time. Uh, again, just please, please keep your thoughts and prayers on those that are affected by the incident on Friday. Obviously, the Brown family and those injured and on the road to recovery. But also, let's not forget about the residents that were living in this neighborhood that are affected. Uh, thinking of Miss Kelly Woods, so please go uh, go, go um, visit the GoFundMe page organized by Elizabeth Essex and her tenant Maria Pialo. 
who's uh, her GoFundMe is organized by Lauren OpenSick. And if you visit my Facebook page, I posted information on Monday of this week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Miss um, Tukroni. Thank you, Chair Randall. So my disclosures are on Thursday, February 8th, I met with Kathleen Leonard and Dominion staff to discuss the Aspen to Goldman substations and transmission lines. And regarding my <clears throat> board comments, um, I attended NACO as well, and I thought I'd bring up uh, the Farm Bill author reauthorization. Um, I attended the rural caucuses at NACO. Um, the reason why I bring that up is uh, this is a five-year farm bill, so the last time it was enacted was in 2018, so this is going to be the 2024 farm bill reauthorization. Um, and NACO priorities are support for small and mid-sized farmers. So the gentleman that just spoke, um, they're looking out for farmers so that we can grow healthy foods for nutrition and hopefully um, help with hunger across our county. Um, according to the USDA, small farms make up 90% of the nation's uh, farms, and they often struggle to obtain access to affordable sources of financing and land. And then um, another thing that NACO prioritizes with this farm bill for counties is to maintain and expand conservation programs, which is very important to our rural policy area because we continue to lose farmland. Um, we've lost 11,000 acres between 2017 and 2022. Um, and lastly, of course, they're looking for uh, broadband in the rural areas because that's cr critical. Um, I also attended um, COG with Chair Randall, and in February, at our February meeting, um, we received a briefing from the Office of Management and Budget about the federal workforce, and we heard that um, uh, the federal workforce today has a 50-50 split in person and uh, remote work, and that this policy will have an impact on Metro ridership, because we heard from Randy Clark, who um, was saying that it's really important to get um, uh, the federal workforce back into the office, um, but their policy is that 50-50 split. Um, and recent surveys, on a, on a positive note, recent surveys showed that 88% of um, people are satisfied with Metro, so that's awesome. So that shows that um, Metro's doing some hard work um, regarding their performance, and 88% of customers are satisfied with Metro. Um, lastly, um, I attended a Route 50 safety and operational study um, meeting, public input meeting last week, and we had a great turnout. Um, a survey is now open until March 1st. Please go to the county website, uh, loudon.gov, Route 50 safety and operational study um, to complete the online survey. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Kirshner. Thank you, Madam Chair. I was did not have it ready, so can I make? Uh, do you mind if I go a little out of order, and make an appointment, which I, so we don't. A nomination, you mean? A nomination, yes. Please. Yes, you may. I would like to nominate John Musgrove for the at-large position for the Route 28 Land Holders Advisory Group, land owners, I should say. Okay. Okay. Route 28. Yes. Okay. There was a there was one position at large, so. Okay. Thank you, Madam Chair. No comments. 
comments. Okay. Just, they'll be brief. No, no, take your time. We, we want to hear the, no, the message from the so doctor. There, there, there are two things I'd like to talk about this evening. Um, <laughs> the first is uh, I want to remind every or point out to everyone that the U.S. Department of Agriculture released their 2002 Census of Agriculture last week. A couple things that are important for Loudoun County is we are still the top equine county for horses and ponies in the entire Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, with 4,898 horses and ponies and 476 equine-related farms. that uh, The runner-up is our neighboring county, Fauquier County, um, with 3,748 horses and ponies and 399 equine-related farms. So I think we're pretty doing pretty darn good in terms of our equine industry. So congratulations um, to all those who are making Loudoun an um, excellent place for our equine industry. There are a lot of other goodies in there. I can get uh, other board members that copy if they want. Um, switching gears a little bit and giving you uh, uh, a little update. Um, Woodgrove High School, anyone heard this? They are the, they, um, their wrestling team had a historic victory. Last weekend, the students and coaches of the Woodgrove Wolverines traveled to Virginia Beach for the state wrestling championship and they won all eight of their matches and they came home as the 2004 state champions. This has never happened before. Wow. So this um, uh, was the first ever time. This has never happened before in Loudoun, as a matter of fact, having a state wrestling champion. Um, so it's kind of a great way to end a perfect season where Woodgrove was unbeaten in their dual meets, 22-0. and 0, Kind of um, special to me since my, I, my father was an All-American and I grew up wrestling and my young sons are all wrestling as well. So congratulations. And there may be a resolution coming um, in the future. So congratulations to the Woodgrove Wolverines. Please do, please do. Thank you. Mr. Turner. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, Supervisor Kirchner just said we're the top equine state for horses. I wonder how you could be the top equine state for something other than horses. I'm just, I'm just asking. Just, just a little ask. Um, I have uh, two, uh, <laughs> two disclosures. <laughs> two disclosures. On Friday, February 9th, my staff and I met with Ron Meyer from RMA LLC, <clears throat> Antonio Calabrese from DLA Piper, as well as Brad Hout and Lee Timmons from Cyrus One to discuss the buy right application for Cyrus Run Broadlands Data Center. Today, my staff met with Soshenka Brower uh, from Walsh Kalushi, Don Knutson from Knutson Companies, John Haltonayu from Goose Creek Village, and Matt Leslie from Bowman Consulting to discuss the application for Goose Creek Village West. Um, I had I attended one session at NACO. <coughs> um, that was a discussion with the, um, I want to say they were EPA lawyers on PFAS and PFOA. Um, that's per and floral all-kill substances. These are forever chemicals. They've been around in the environment for about 70 years. Um, they persist. They don't go away. And the EPA has started to link them to some serious health issues. And I became aware of this issue about a year ago, and I've kind of been following it for the past year, trying to think of what kind of mitigation can we do at the county, what kind of responses. I went to Loudon Water and said, look, how do we get this out of the water table? And they said, it, it's almost impossible. It's enormously expensive. If you want to get rid of these substances, you have to stop them at the source. You can't do them at the end of the process in the water filtration system. So I kind of processed that through. They said also, the EPA has identified um, uh, six of these substances for measuring. There are 6,000 of these substances in currently in our environment. 
So at the NACO meeting, uh, uh, this has been on an ongoing year investigation for myself, and at the NACO meeting, these lawyers uh, talked about the class action suit with 3M and DuPont um, and the impact it could have on local communities. And I, I listened to the conversation, and I consider myself to be a pretty ardent uh, and strident environmentalist. I have been for a long time. And I had to make the comment that the, the EPA has now lowered the threshold for what they consider to be a harm from these substances to four parts per quadrillion. The lowest measuring device that we have is one, two parts per trillion, which is a thousand-fold less precise needed than to even measure these, these substances. And I made the sacrilegious statement in the meeting. I said, look, I said, I understand there's an issue here. These substances have been around for 70 years. You've just acknowledged we don't have any measuring devices that can measure these substances, and we don't have any way to get them out of our systems and water supplies. And I said, I've got, I've got serious issues that I have to deal with in my county, and I just can't justify spending extensive county resources to tackle a problem that you basically have just acknowledged is A, undetectable, and B, unresolvable. Um, and it was a, it, I, I had a, met another member from the Virginia delegation approach me afterwards, pretty hot, that I had, had said that. But I think with PFAS and PFOA going forward, you need to address the egregious offenders, the people who are dumping 55-gallon drums of these chemicals into water supplies, and they exist. They are around the country. We need to focus on those. But I think we're, we're kidding ourselves. We think that we're going to eliminate PFAS and PFOA from our entire environment. It's just, it's just not an achievable goal right now. So um, it, was not a, it, was a, it was a surprise to me, and it was kind of a counterintuitive observation for environmentalists. But I think we really need to focus on what we can solve, and I didn't think this was one we could solve. Just another perspective on that issue, because I know you'll hear about PFAS and PFOA going forward. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Ms. Glass, do you want to you want to try to say anything or you want to try to send me something? <clears throat> Two disclosures. <laughs> okay, I met with reps from Godwin Cyrus One Data Center. February 15th, I met with reps for the Quantum Park CPA application. Ms. Glass, do me a favor and send that to me in a text so I can say it in just a sec for you, okay? Just so we make okay. sure we get on the, thank you, make sure you get on, on, the, on the record. Thank you. I'm sorry you feel bad. Mr. Letourneau. Thank you. Uh, just one disclosure. On February 14th, I spoke with Ron Meyer of Ron Meyer Associates about the Belmont Innovation Campus. Um, Want to just uh, provide a reminder that next Monday I'll be having a town hall meeting. Um, may sound a little trivial in light of the, the weighty week we've had, but it's actually on retail in the Dulles South area. Um, and we're going to be joined by representatives of two of the larger uh, retail establishments uh, that, are, that have projects in the area to talk to residents about um, how it all works. So I'm really hoping this is going to be an informative discussion, uh, really for our residents to understand what some of the challenges are, how it all works, how, you know, how it's decided, what goes where, and the efforts that are underway to try to bring some of these establishments to, to this part of the county. Um, otherwise, uh, we are about to enter into um, uh, our more intense period of the year with the budget. Um, 
starting with uh, discussion on the capital budget and our, also with our colleagues on the school board on Thursday. Um, I, I will say just at the onset here that I'm a little bit worried about, um, I've said this a few places, but especially after spending the weekend looking at the budget, um, our rate of growth is just very high and probably not sustainable in my opinion. So I, I will be looking for some ways to try to slow it a little bit this year. Uh, beyond which was been proposed um, and with a broader strategy and broader discussion and I think partnership needed with our school system and others to help us kind of get to where we want to go on this particularly in light of kind of where the conversation is going on data centers because in one direction we're moving one way the other direction we're moving the other way uh, those things when they start getting too far apart are really gonna have an impact on the community and the time to think about that is now, not when it's truly happening. So that is it, thank you. Thank you, I'm gonna just real quick, don't, this is not on my time, I'm gonna real quick say that Ms. Glass said on Thursday, February 8th, she met with representatives um, regarding the Broadland Cyrus One Data Center site plan. On Thursday, February 15th, she met, she met with representatives on the Quantum Park ZPA application. She did attend the NACO Legislative Conference. She's on the Human Services and Education Steering Committee and on the International Economic Development Task Force. And she would talk about the NACO, um, her NACO update will be uh, given at the next meeting. So thank you, Ms. Glass. Ms. Brixman. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I don't have uh, <clears throat> any mandatory disclosures. Um, I did attend a um, NVTC program policy committee meeting last week where we kicked off um, the regional transit policy research project and we received an update on commuter choice. Um, and then the National Association of Counties Conference. Um, we, for those of who may not know, the, the National Association of Counties has committees that work on certain areas and then provide resolutions for the American agenda, much like our, our legislative agenda, but the agenda that they lobby our federal um, counterparts with. Um, I sit on the Community Economic Development Workforce Committee with Supervisor Sains, um, and also there, Madam Chair, housing was a huge part of the conversation um, as employers are very interested in making sure their employees can have housing mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. attainable housing. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I've started talking about on that committee is a resolution on affordable quality childcare. And um, it is already in the American agenda with another committee. I, I think it's Health and Human Services. So we're talking about maybe cross-claiming that resolution, but I also think it might need a little bit of a tweak to um, to make sure that we have an economic angle when we adopt it in the Community uh, um, Economic Development Workforce Committee. So we'll be working on that moving forward. Um, Supervisor Glass and I sat in on International Economic Development Task Force. We had some great presentations about um, direct foreign investment and a couple things came out. One that was very um, relative was um, the folks that presented said that the county leaders, chairs, mayors, supervisors are the best ambassadors um, for their district when it comes to international direct foreign investment. Um, Madam Chair, thank you so much for bringing the elections um, uh, documents back. We did learn in another session that one out of every five of um, registrars and elections, you know, uh, county 
employees that run elections will be running an election for the first time ever this year, wow. one in five. Um, so I really appreciate your bringing that back and um, uh, getting that to the electoral board and, and our leaders over there. Um, at Healthy Counties Advisory Board, we talked about um, mapping. It was very, very interesting data and mapping discussion um, and how you can study the social determinants of health by mapping your county um, on certain topics. So it was fascinating. Definitely, I just got an email from them with all the information if anyone else is interested. Um, very exciting, the child care needs assessment has kicked off and will be going until March 14th. So I would love it if my colleagues could share that information on their social media and in their newsletters so that we can get as much feedback as possible from the community. Um, there'll be a survey and then there'll also be focus groups for the child care needs assessment. So um, that'll be going on uh, through March 14th. So very excited about that. Um, I think I made all of my comments about the um, catastrophic explosion in, in my district on Friday, but I did want to share one thing about um, Firefighter Brown that um, Sterling Volunteer Fire Company Chief David Short said, and this is a quote about um, Firefighter Brown. He said he was a great guy. He was one of those middle guys in the company that you depend on day in and day out, and he delivered. His loss is going to be felt by the entire company and the community. And I think just our discussion tonight um, bears that out. And I know that the community is responding and, and will continue to do that. Um, Madam Chair, gun violence from the Gun Violence Archive. Um, in 2024, only just beginning, we have already had 55 mass shootings. There have been 2,214 gun deaths. The deaths include 34 children, under the age of 11, 167 teens ages 12 to 17. Um, I think that's all I have. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Which committee was that, Ms. Brixman, that you said talked about the importance of uh, local elected officials and international economic uh, activities? That was the women of NACO. That was Juan. women of NACO. Yeah, that was the presenter at Juan. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'd like to that see that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks. Um, okay. So um, I was going to share some information on, because it's still Black History Month, I was going to share some information on black, um, hist some, some stats on the, the progress in some areas and the severe lack of progress in other areas for um, African Americans in this country, but we, we've been focused on other things obviously this weekend, and so although next month I think is Women's History Month, I want to bring, I will be bringing some of those stats and some of that information um, next week um, because they were uh, very, very concerning, especially, uh, and I know there's been some discussions about this, the maternal uh, death rate for women, for women of color, but especially African American women, how much more we die in childbirth or right after childbirth, and the the reasons for it are completely preventative. So I'll talk about that a little bit more next week. I wanna, I do wanna say that on February 25th, the Loudoun County chapter of the Jack and Jill is having the Black History Month program, a Journey to Freedom Heritage Tour. It might be getting close to being sold out. It's at two o'clock at the Douglas Community Center. And so if you haven't got tickets for that, you might want to do that because we, I think it is getting close to be, being sold out. I have planned on going to that, but I cannot after all because I have been invited to go listen to one of the Little Rock Nine uh, speak. The Little Rock Nine, one of them, well, the Little Rock Nine were the nine African-American 
at that time high school students who integrated um, Central High School in 1954. Um, so to be able to listen to one of them speak about that experience is like a once in a lifetime event. So I'll be doing that. But I do encourage everyone else to, uh, to go to the other event. I also encourage people to, you know, um, to maybe just if, if you know, if, if you don't, if there's something about black history you might not know, just go do some research. It is, I have a list of um, black inventors, and it was just amazing and, and interesting that all the things that African Americans have invented, um, you know, I mean, like the stoplight, stop right? Benjamin Banneker has invented the stoplight. It was just amazing. So, um, you know, during this month when, you know, when it's Women's History Month, we focus on those things. And, you know, when it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we go find something about breast cancer awareness. And there's no reason at all that people should not kind of, kind of urge um, others and, and um, to, for yourself, go find out more about black history because black history is not always incorporated in American history. History, and I keep saying that I would be I would be fine when we don't need Black History Month anymore because that would mean that Black History is talked about as part of American history, and right now it's not. And until that day, we will still uh, discuss Black History Month in this country. I also want to say that I had, <clears throat> excuse me, two disclosures. Um, on twelve twenty, my my staff met with. Um, uh, the Dominion Energy on the Wishing Star, no, I'm sorry, in 220, not 1220. Um, uh, on, no, no, on 28 and 220, which is today, they met on the Wishing Star substation from Dominion Energy, uh, uh, with Dominion Energy. And I'd like to take a point of personal privilege, and I will send this to her and say happy birthday to my older sister, Robin. Um, I, I am horrible about remembering birthdays. There's so many people in my family that I just forget them because there's just so many of us. And one time I um, wished Robin happy birthday in um, like August and she said, is this belated or is this in advance? And I'm like, whichever one works for you. So um, today I actually remembered that this is my sister Robin's birthday. Ra, I love you very much and happy birthday to you. I think that might be everything. Amazing. At 6.30, we are adjourned.